0: May 9th, 2013, it's The Creative Process. All right, left off and the clock has started. So, welcome to the eighth episode of The Creative Process. I'm Jared Ponchat, and I'm here again with Jeff Robbins. Jeff, <laughs> welcome to the show.
1: Thanks, Jared Ponchat. How are you?
0: I- I'm great. I'm excited to be back again. Weather's starting to get a
1: little uh, warmer here in this part of the world. It's nice. Springtime brings with it creative energies. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yes, when spring is sprung, so does creativity. Yes.
1: We've got a lot of stuff going on. We're, we're, uh, we're planning a party at, uh, at DrupalCon. Um, Lullabot has done a party uh i think this is our well it is it's our fifth i, I did the math because i i had to write up a little thing telling people about our party um and yeah it, for the past four drupal cons north american DrupalCons, we've uh, we've had a party and we're having one uh at DrupalCon in portland oregon uh june
0: 20 or no may, may yeah
1: yeah, May 21st, that sounds right. Yes, May 21st, Tuesday night of DrupalCon. Um there's a post about it on lullabot.com, I believe, although I can't find it. And uh and if you if you follow lullabot on Facebook, I guess it's called liking on Facebook. You should go, you find lullabot on Facebook and you should like lullabot and there's an announcement there, there's a, an event. Um and we would love to see you there. In fact, um my band will be playing, my band Orbit. Uh, Will be playing uh, at the event, which is um, always a little weird.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's not that his band is weird; it's weird playing a Drupal event. Well, no, it's so. just
1: I, it's weird playing. Like Orbit was my career. We were we were signed to A Records. We were. I, I feel you know we proved ourselves to be a legitimate musical entity. Whether people liked <laughs> us or not, we we were nonetheless legitimate um but you know now we're playing a tech event and like when you sort of sell it like oh yeah that guy runs that drupal company and his band is playing and like i, I never expect a legitimate musical entity and so i right. wonder if
0: if we are expect in fact, a guy we... with a banjo and a gut bucket and y- yeah. <laughs> yeah 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 <laughs> sort of. you just don't know what you're getting into
1: yeah exactly so i don't know i i, I you know but Anyways, it's it's uh, uh, fun for us, and hopefully people will will enjoy it. And uh, and
0: yeah, the little bot parties are always a blast, and typically they've been it, it's been painful to try to get into it. You have to get oh, there yeah, very get there early, right. um, and so we've got mo- a little bit more capacity this year. But once again, people will need to get there early. Um, so, if you are going to be in Portland on May the twenty first, Tuesday come check out the Lullabot party. It'll be yep. fun. Yep. Um, if you're at, yeah,
1: at DrupalCon, or even if you're not at DrupalCon. Just uh, if you're going to be in Portland.
0: Yeah, just <laughs> Portland. It's
1: just, yeah. I also am remembering now as I'm bringing up this website to try and find this announcement that I'm not finding. Yeah, well, uh, it's,
0: it's going to be it, at the Wonder Ballroom in what, Portland. Yes, Wonder Ballroom. There you go.
1: Um, uh, we have a new website. We have a new design uh, of, of lullabot.com that launched yeah. a few weeks ago. Um, we're feeling very triumphant about that. Yep. Um,
0: like three years ago, Lullabot became a, a more full serviced agency. And three years later, we decided to have a website that actually lists those services. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. Yep. what I what I am finding is my is my hey a lullabot.com i redesign article which sort of explains about the redesign and uh and, and the f- motivating factors behind it and uh and sort of alludes to some of the frustration cuz mm-hmm. you know we build websites for other people all the time and we get paid for that um they don't pay us to do our own website so <laughs> it's always hard to kind of find the time and set aside the time uh to to do our own website but uh yeah. but we finally got it done and uh, um, and I, I I think it's great. I, I'm excited about it. It's responsive. You can right. try it on different devices and you can still read it and stuff like and that. And it actually
0: so. lets us have three different podcasts now, which we do. Um, well, yes, which, and
1: they're talking which, about a fourth. I'll just leave it at yes, that. Yes. There are like, rumors yeah. of a
0: fourth podcast. Yep. But yeah. if so the the podcast we're referring to, if you if you wanna listen to other podcasts that LullaBots puts out, there's a fantastic one hosted by Jeff Eaton on content and content strategy on the web. It's called Insert Content Here. Um, and then for all the, the big Drupal folks, uh, there's still a Drupal related podcast that Lullabot puts out. Addie Berry and Kyle Hoffmeyer and the Drupalize Me team do a podcast. Uh, I think it's every other week, actually. They put another podcast episode out called the Drupalize Me podcast.
1: And they're actually doing a podcast about uh, rebuilding uh, lullabot.com as well. Mm-hmm. That'll be coming up soon. Right. Um, it's happening in parallel so with this. So, yes. You can ex-
0: you can find all of them if you go to lolobot.com slash blog slash podcasts. <laughs> it's always podcasts. Yeah, uh, yes. The hyper articulate with S's. <laughs> so, uh, who do we have on the podcast today? Oh, so today we have well, this is a great, great. Uh, episode with uh, Denise Jacobs is here with us. Um, Denise uh, if you haven't seen her speak somewhere or seen her at your company teaching you how to be more creative uh, she's a speaker, she's an author uh, she's actually been in the web a long time, she wrote uh, some books, she's, you might have read her articles on A List Apart on Net Magazine uh, but she's a, a creative creativity evangelist I believe is ha- how a lot of people refer to her now and I think what she says on her uh, maybe Twitter bio or some, something like that. But um, yeah, she's actually here with us fresh from uh, Adobe speaking at Adobe Max uh, and going to talk creativity with us. Welcome to the show, Denise.
2: Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here.
0: You're coming to us live, well, live ish, uh, actually from Adobe Max. Is that correct?
2: I am coming to you live. And uh, yes etc <laughs> from Adobe. So it's great. You're <laughs> on the cloud at Adobe currently. Kind yeah. <laughs> I, actually, I actually kind of feel like I am on a cloud, but it's kind of like my own personal cloud. It's not like the Creative Cloud. It is actually right. a creative cloud if you think about it, but like my own personal creative cloud, not <laughs> Adobe's per se, although Adobe's playing a part of it because I'm here at their at their event and uh, it's a great event. I and you just
1: a, you just a, spoke a, this morning, is that right?
2: just spoke this morning. I did a session called The Importance of Storytelling in Web Design. Say that three times fast. And it's based on uh, the chapter I contributed to the Smashing Book 3 that came out last year, which was called uh, The Missing Element of Redesign Story. Ah. Oh, yeah. We
1: we could do a whole podcast just on
2: that. I know, right? It was And you know what was really funny, if I may say this, uh, what was really funny was, you know when you do something and you think about something on your own and then... You're thinking about it a lot and then you're kind of used to thinking about it, you know, so it's not new information. When you first start putting the information together in your own head, you're just like, whoa, this is really profound. And then you start thinking about it and you're like, "Ah, everybody knows this already because you've been thinking about it a lot. Right.
1: Sort of the the flip side of Zen mind, beginner mind, right?
2: Exactly. It's kind of like Zen like. It's it's recalled eureka. Yeah, exactly. It's kind of like the pa- point past, you know, when you've said, seen Eureka like ten times, and then you're just like, ah, you know, like, <laughs> I'm so used to this. I don't even know what to do with myself. And uh, so it was very interesting to present this content because – it was like seeing it again for the first time, or for the first time in a while, and I was like, "Wow, this is actually kind of some really profound stuff. This is actually a lot of new kind of information, all packed into one place." Um, so I thought it was—I I, I was actually entertained by the the uh, presentation myself, as if it were something that I. Had never- <laughs> <laughs>
0: That's the ideal way to give a presentation again is to <laughs> have that, t- that
2: fresh. lag time this, to
0: where oh, you're like, is, wow, this is amazing.
2: I, I know. That's kind of what I was thinking. I was like, oh, this is really deep. Because there was like a couple of times when I, I said stuff and I was like, you know, this is not standard content, right? Like this is not content that you see all the time everywhere that people are writing about and talking about all the time. And I was kind of happy about that because... Like I said, I've been kind of thinking about it for about a year now, and I'm used to it and kind of saw it through other people's eyes in the audience and was like, oh, all right, doing something, doing something kind of innovative. I like that. So, yeah,
1: we just did it, we just did a redesign of lullabot.com, oh,
2: yeah. and
1: uh, and I, I went to sort of write up the article about it. For the site. Uh and you know, in the past we've sort of talked more about like the technical aspects of it, but this time it was more about, you know, the 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 story of it. <laughs> it was about the rebranding of the company a little bit and the you know, um and that kind of thing. I mean maybe um I you know, it's just sort of the the angle I, I I chose to focus on, but uh um I don't know. It seems to be ultimately sort of more compelling is the the why, not the
2: how. Absolutely, and that's right. the thing. The thing that I think a lot of people have told me um, uh, about going to conferences, they have always they've I've gotten good feedback from my presentations because they're like, you know, I can read a blog post on how to do something anytime. And there's tons of them, and there's tons of books and stuff, and they were like, but to get inspired and to think about how I do my work differently and to see how other people think about their work and how they do their work, that's what I really like to get at these conferences because I can't get that pretty, you know, it's harder to get that just through a blog post or an article.
0: Yeah. Y2 manuals are less pervasive.
2: Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: (laughs) They are. (laughs) So tell us a little bit about the genesis of of this. I mean, you've been talking about creativity for since like for a couple of years now. But you're you're a person who has a lot of like a deep background in the web Mm -hmm. and a sort of a technical background. But you've really shifted. What it seems like you're fascinated with, what you're speaking about, um, you know, the description of you on the web is that you're mm-hmm. a, a creativity evangelist, and that you help make creative processes more fluid and, and things like that. W- where did where did this start for you?
2: Well, you know, it kind of was born from I, I, I've had a lot of kind of creative angst in my life um, for a long time because I, I grew up in a family of people who were. Kind of always making things, kind of always creative in, in different ways. Uh, my father used to build experimental aircraft, um, so I grew up with a airplane fuselage in the garage when I was wow. A- now, <laughs> yeah, I know. Uh, he, everyone- did he
1: fly them too? He he oh, built yeah. them and flew
2: yeah, them. Yeah. Yeah, now,
1: now how does how does experimental like what does a failed experiment look like with an aircraft?
2: Well, so, what it is is you know people design uh, aircraft and then they have the blueprints and stuff like that. And then when you build experimental aircraft, you buy the blueprints and then you build the airplane, mm-hmm. and then you fly it, and um, and that's what he did. So he, I can't remember the the first airplane he did was a was called a. a the type of airplane was called Delta Wing. So he did a Delta Wing uh, airplane, and, and it was a single person. And then the second airplane that he did was called a Vera Vigan, and it was two people, but it was tandem. So, you know, one in in front and one behind you. And then the second airplane that he built, it was a two-person airplane, but they were side-by-side, the were <laughs> side-by-side.
1: He's eventually getting more social in the aircraft. Right. You know.
2: <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So... Um he, built, um, he built them all, and he flew the first one. And then um, I think he took part of it apart and used some of the parts for the second one. And then he built the second one, and he flew that one. And then he um, finished the third one, like pretty much finished it, except for like the paint job and everything, finished it. And then he actually ended up dying unexpectedly um, 11 years ago. And... Um, so, he built the three airplanes. So, anyway, so, I, you know, my father built experimental aircraft. My mother used to, like, do, like, crazy sewing projects and, like, macrame because it was the 70s. And she would, like <laughs> – she would, she would, like, but she would do macrame where she would, like, see something and she'd be, like – she'd see something in a magazine and she'd be, like, I want to make that. And then she'd, like, make it without a pattern or yeah. anything. She'd just, mm-hmm. like, make it and figure out how to make it. And I was, like, what? And then my sister was like a fine artist and so she would do watercolors and like amazing like color pencil sketches and like, you know, could like do portraits of anybody and do all this stuff. And then she started making cakes and then she started like doing sculptures and everything because she had had an architecture, had studied architecture. So she started like building like structures out of cake and things like that. And then I was there and I was just like, so what am I going to do? And so like I tried a bunch of stuff and the whole time in my life I kept thinking I want to be creative, but I don't know if I'm creative. And uh, I got into web stuff because I wanted to do like graphic design and writing and kind of coding all at the same time. And that's kind of how I got into web stuff. But then I started doing project management and stuff and then I was still frustrated creatively. So finally, uh, kind of long story made medium length. Uh, (laughs) uh, Finally, when I finished my book, The CSS Detective Guide, I finally felt like everything that I had been looking for, you know, all the kind of outside uh, uh, affirmations or validations of being creative, I finally got them, or I got it from myself, you know, like, finally, I was like, wait a minute, I just wrote a book, designed like six websites as examples, wrote all the content for them, coded the thing, and <laughs> wrote about the process. And I wrote about the process in story format. I was like, if that doesn't make me creative, I don't know what makes me creative. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: and- That's the secret about those books. Um, my That's- wife is an O'Reilly author, and, and, <laughs> and it's the examples that kill you. Try to you know come up with ideas, original mm-hmm. ideas for the examples
2: it's crazy because it's like you have to make it you have to make it fit everything that you're trying that you're talking about right like it has to like actually be relevant for the example so you have like actually constraints and yet kind of creativity you know creativity within the constraints so when i finished all of that i had this kind of rush of energy and i realized that you know through this process of realizing that I was creative, I kind of felt invincible. Like I felt like (laughs) I I did. Like for, you know, for a few weeks, I was just like, I can do anything. (laughs) I wrote a book. (laughs) I wrote a book and I'm like, and, but really what it was is I'm this creative person that I didn't realize that I was. Mm -hmm. I always wanted to be creative. And all of a sudden I finally realized it's not like it was never there. It's just that I finally can see it. And I finally feel like I can take ownership of it. And what I felt like at the time was this feels so good taking ownership of this and taking and, and really sitting in the space of being creative and feeling powerful. I felt so good and I felt so empowered that I thought, I want to help other people feel like this. Yeah. Like, I want to help the people who feel like they aren't creative, I want to help them feel like. They are creative and kind of feel empowered around that, and I also the people who do feel who would consider themselves creative. I want to help them feel like they can access creativity when they want it and consistently because that was my problem. I would kind of get like creatively inspired like every year <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know? and i and I felt like it was this kind of capricious thing and not within my own control and so Part of what I talk about a lot now is how to have kind of inspiration, creative inspiration on demand and kind of setting things up so that you're like basically training yourself to be creative, kind of like an athlete would train themselves to be able to perform, you know, athletically. So, yeah.
0: Have you found sort of uh, any any common threads as you've begun doing this and helping people and, and talking with people about this? like sort of the most common problems that creative people are facing that you're, you're able to help them with?
2: Uh, one of the things that seem to be one of the most common problems or at least a sentiment or a, a feeling that a lot of people share as creatives is fear. Uh, Fear of not doing things well enough, fear of it not being original enough, fear that you're not going to get the idea or you're not going to be able to perform or whatever. And so I actually end up spending a lot of time in my presentations talking about fears and ways to dismantle fears so that you can get to the other side and actually create
0: I'm curious if, like, as you began presenting on this, did you run into that yourself? Like, having to, like, take the stage and and start being the person who's talking about creativity?
2: It's so funny. My mother always likes to point this out to me. She's like, so you are a motivational speaker... Who still has like who still questions herself? And I was "Well, like, isn't
1: that, that sort of motiv- that's motivating in itself, isn't it?" I right. mean,
2: I think so. I mean, it's like you know, I try to keep it real, kind of be real with people. Um, <laughs> and one of the things that you know I like to point out to people is, I came up with this process because I'm using this process. You know, this stuff is important to me because I need it too. You mm-hmm. know, I need to make sure, like. I need to deal with my own fears around being creative. That's what I spent, you know, like up, you know, good 40 some odd years of my life contending with, you know, it's like, yeah, I'm, I'm above 40, by the way. I know I only look like I'm, like, 25, but it's true.
1: Um, I, I keep saying the same thing, too. I I know I only look like I'm 25. Right. I've been saying that since I was
2: 25. <laughs> right, yeah. Well, actually, when I was 25, I didn't look like I was 25. Like, when, my, when I was in my 30s, I looked like I was in my 40s, and now I'm in my 40s, and I look like I'm in my 30s. It's not a bad way to go. Yeah, a good way to go, but uh, but anyway, back to what I was saying is, you know, a lot of this is, like, very hard-won information. This is not, like, kind of pie in the sky, like, wouldn't it be nice if, but it's kind of like, look, I've had situations where I... I have to constantly battle distractions personally. I have to constantly battle my inner critic. I constantly have to, I'm constantly working to structure my environment to be something that's inspirational for, for me and keeps me inspired and, and keeps me wanting to work and be creative. I'm constantly working on getting rid of the things that I, that don't serve me and that get in the way and keep me from doing the things that I really like to do. I'm constantly working on that and as a person who likes to create and who considers themselves a creative, now, like I, I couldn't possibly be the only one. This has got to mm-hmm. be a you know pretty much a commonality throughout, uh, throughout you know throughout the industry and throughout just working life in general. There's a lot of uh, there are a lot of problems with the way working life is structured that is completely at odds with being creative and yeah, that right. do not nurture creativity. And I really am working hard to dismantle that and to spread information that helps to dismantle that so that people can actually do the work that they want to do and do it better and do it more easily. So when you go
1: out there to, to do consulting or, or, uh, training kind of events at companies, like what kinds of things are you talking about with them?
2: So a lot of that, um, is, is talking about kind of managing the anxieties around creating, so that you can create more. A lot of it is um, setting up your environment so that you can create more in terms of managing your time, in terms of you know uh, managing distractions, um, setting up good habits, like retraining your brain so to create habits that are supportive to creativity and not destructive to creativity. Um, working better in groups, like actually leveraging groups to um, create kind of creative synergy, and, um, uh, doing kind of uh, fun failure and kind of what I like to call iterative perfection. So uh, trying instead of trying to make something perfect like the one time, like doing it over and over and over and over and over again so that you know you're not tied to the to the outcome. It's just the process that's more important and you kind of achieve perfection and I'm using bunny ears right now, quotes of uh, perfection <laughs> by can feel them. doing something over and you can feel the bunny quotes. Yes through Skype um, <laughs> and uh, so yeah so I talk a lot about that and uh, kind of put it in I think at this point now I put it into like a six step process that gets you to the place where you're um, producing producing more and producing well it's really interesting especially from
1: sort of um, the, the, the point of view of this podcast sort of the uh, you know when we started this podcast it was we thought it'd be really interesting to talk to a variety of people who are creative in different ways and have different types of creative output about how they're creative. And it Mm -hmm. seems like you're just tapped right into that, like, uh, you know, working with different types of people who need to be creative or maybe even don't think of themselves so much as as creative and and helping them to kind of tap into that.
2: Yeah. And that's, I mean, honestly, I mean, you know, I know it it sounds kind of I don't know if it sounds airy fairy or woo woo or whatever, but I I honestly feel like this is what I came here to do. Like this is what I was I was born on the planet to be able to do this kind of work. And well, everybody
1: should be doing that. Everyone I, should feel that way about what they do. That's great.
2: I feel like that, and I feel really lucky that I've come to this. Now, you know. In 10 years, it might be different, but right now, I'm like, this is the business. Like, this is what I'm talking about, and all of the things that I've done to this point have, like, landed me perfectly in this place, and so, you know, for me, it's like, if I had one guy, said it was actually really wonderful. I spoke at Paris Web in 2011. And I did a presentation called Immediate Inspiration. And it was kind of that whole process of like what to do, how to set up your kind of work life so that you can be creatively inspired all the time or like on demand when you want to be. And uh, so then I spoke at Paris Web in 2012 last year. And this guy came up to me and he was like, I saw your presentation last year. I loved it. And I put everything that you said into practice. And I was like, what? And he was like, he was like, I work better now. He was like, I'm more creative. I produce more. He was like, I have a studio and I get interns and stuff. And he was like, and I teach them the process and I teach them what to do. And they are working better. And I was like, what? what you- oh my God, it's working. Yeah.
0: You need to get him to shoot a video for your website or something. Yeah. <laughs> and
2: I was, like, you write? something wonderful for me um and so it's really neat and that's it was really wonderful to get that kind of feedback another woman who had seen that presentation ended up writing a little booklet on creativity she was like i was so inspired and everything that you said and so i wrote a booklet about creativity i was like dang i haven't even written written a book
1: (laughs) yeah there's an interesting process there of i i feel like um there's a lot of stuff where you'll sort of go mining for ideas. You'll, mm. you know, like you're putting together your presentations is a creative process in itself. And and you sort of come up with these concepts and ideas and philosophies and you try and sort of put them together and probably make up slides or, you know, mm. for for me I'll I'll write an article on lullabot.com or or something like that. And you sort of put it up there and it kind of feels Almost like a work in progress, right? It's sort of uh, it. It's some concepts that I'm sort of curious what other people think about. and I'm always really surprised when people come back and they're like, "Yeah, that's totally right." You know, right. I, I'm I, I'm totally going to do that. And it's like, well, but it was more of a starting point of discussion,
2: right? Well, <laughs> but like, I guess everything is. Yeah, and for me, it was kind of like here are some ideas. I'm giving you guys the ideas and like go, you know, run with it. And, um, but it was, it's been really nice because, you know, every time I do it, I add more stuff to it and then it becomes even more, you know, even more clear, like where it started off just as a set of ideas. Now, you know, two years later, it's actually, I've actually kind of, have kind of corralled it into being more of a process. And I'm like, well, that's cool. Didn't see that coming, you know, when I just had this idea about, you know, all these ideas about creativity and, you know, inspiration on demand and, you know, the art of disciplined creativity and, you know, just had titles.
1: Uh-huh. And,
2: then, and then the next thing you know, I got content. And then the next thing you know, it's like, oh, I've got a process. And I'm like, whoa, how did that happen? Okay. I'm all for it. So yeah, so doing the presentations for me is actually very much a creative process. You know, writing is a very creative process. Like ju- just choosing the, the imagery to um, communicate the concepts in the presentations to me is a very creative thing. And so I'm always really proud of my presentations. I'm like, they're pretty. <laughs> <laughs> they're pretty, and I like looking at them. So yeah, so I, it's it's... It's been, like I said, it's been, I just feel really lucky. Like, all the things that I feel like I'm really good at, I get to do.
0: That's awesome. Yeah. Without giving away trade secrets, I'm curious, like, <laughs> some simple things you could share with us about the, the whole inner critic thing. I'm very curious oh. about sort of what you what to do with your inner critic. Because I think that's a very common problem for at least a lot of designers um, that oh, I know. are you kidding?
2: Everybody, like, yeah. I got so much feedback from that article on um, A List Apart, the Banish Your Inner Critic article. Mm-hmm. I got so much feedback. Like, people would – I met a guy, um, Tim Cadlick, actually, who uh, wrote a book on responsive design uh, that came out last year. Um, I met him at Rich Web Experience at the end of 2011. And he sat down and he was like, okay, so I read your article on A List Apart. And I, when I was reading it, I was thinking, I don't know Denise, but she sure seems like she knows me. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, sweet. And a lot of people were just like, you were like totally inside of my head that mm-hmm. thing. And I was like, I was in, inside my head, and I think my head is not as unique as I'd like it to think like to think it is. And so, um, a lot of things that I I do. I mean, one of the things I I like to do is when I'm feeling those moments of feeling. Fear, or I'm feeling like, oh my God, I'm not going to be able to do XYZ PDQ thing. Is when I have those moments and I go, oh, okay, I'm feeling afraid about this. Let's just put this into perspective. There is no saber-toothed tiger behind me. Like, I am not in danger in any way, shape, or form, right? Mm-hmm it doesn't matter because it's the web and it'll be looked at for like two seconds and then it'll not be looked at or whatever it is. I was like, it is impermanent. It is only going to be in people's minds for a little bit of time. And then it's, it doesn't, it, it kind of, when I put it into perspective and I'm just like, does this really matter that much? Like certainly it's important to me now, but does it matter that much? And I think in the grand scheme of things, not really. You know, Mm -hmm. and when I have that moment, then I'm like, okay, well, then that means it's it's okay, It's all right. Like the important thing about this is that it has to like the thing I like to tell myself is it has to be it doesn't have to be good. It just has to be. And when I do that, then I get, you know, I I end up kind of all of those those voices that are like, it has to be good and it has to be perfect and it has to be beautiful and it has to be beautiful, more beautiful than this and it's got to be oh, it's gotta <laughs> right. this, I don't know and take the design aesthetic of the current time, blah, blah, ooh, blah, blah. <laughs> and when I, when I get away from that and I'm like let's just make it and then we can always make it better later
0: uh-huh. yeah yeah, existence and then, trumps everything <laughs>
2: then and then usually when I do that that is when you know, you step aside and all that wonderful kind of divine creative energy starts flowing through you. And then you make it awesome.
1: Yeah. My, um, my, my mom has a saying. I don't know if she made this up or what, but it sort of made its way around Lullabot a lot, which oh. is done is beautiful.
2: Oh, but- even better than the one I had. I always used to say done is good.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's like, it's done. That's beautiful. Therefore it is done. Therefore it is beautiful. It uh, you can, and you can always edit later. You can, yeah. you know, but like, yeah. um, and I, you know, recently I've been thinking about this idea of like shooting for good. Don't shoot for great. Uh-huh. Just shoot for good. Like
2: uh-huh. just good, good enough. Like it's so, you know, um, exactly. and your mom and I are cut from the same cloth. Cause I used to say that a lot. In, in college, uh, where people were just like, so did you finish your paper? I mean, was it, is it any good? And I was like, it's done. And therefore, <laughs> by definition, it is good because <laughs> it's done. Exactly. And and the shooting for just good instead of shooting for this excellent is actually one of the things I said in the article is like, just shoot for it being okay, because your idea of excellent is, or, you know, your idea of okay is probably other people's superlative, mm. Right. And that's what I, because, you know, I got like a high set of standards. And yeah. a lot of people have told me, they're like, dude, seriously, if you just make it okay for you, it's going to be like awesome for other well, people.
1: But it, it, that's the thing they say, that everyone is is their their worst, worst critic, critic of themselves. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, the logic sort of follows that if you're the, your worst critic and you're trying to get over the threshold of what you can stand, then it's probably pretty good. <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. Right.
2: Mm-hmm. I'm a, I am am all for it you know and it's like and sometimes you know sometimes you look at other people's work and you're just kind of like okay it's a, you know I've kind of gotten to the point where I'm like I personally might not have done that but like if that's what they're talking about then that's cool you know like okay if I'm curating a show that might not be one of the things I curate you know I, I bring in. <laughs> but like you know for that person like where they are that's probably pretty yeah whatever that's cool you know, <laughs>
1: <laughs> words of wisdom, words of wisdom,
2: yes. trying, trying to trying to get to that, that wisdom, that kind of nice wisdom's in place. And, you know, part of this process, too, has been, you know, a lot of it is about acceptance and um, and kind of, you know, being more neutral about things and not reacting to things that the in the way that you used to you know not criticizing something not over praising something just being kind of like you know like walking the dow you know just like mm-hmm. just being like okay cool and then like just if it's not something you want then it's like okay the next time the next time we'll make it we'll get closer and we we'll just keep that kind of like i said that iterative perfection idea
1: i think with creativity a lot of times there's this idea of sort of Battling your inner demons, mm-hmm. um, and I, I think that there sometimes is an aspect of that. But if you look at it less as a battle and just mm-hmm. a, almost an acceptance of your inner demons, uh-huh. uh, it's like yeah, it's just yes, I have that voice that's mm-hmm. going to be there saying that it sucks.
2: It's uh, going to be there, and it's kind of one of those things. You know, I just did a ten-day uh, Vipassana meditation retreat, and. It was wonderful to go and have the moments where you talked to the teacher because, you you know, we'd go and be in a group and we'd be like, well, I, I just, I couldn't kind of have, like, I had all kinds of thoughts and stuff like that. And she'd be like, yeah, always. You always have that. Mm-hmm. you never, you're probably almost never going to get to the point where your thoughts are completely calm and completely quiet. And that's normal. And it's like, whew, okay, you know? So it's like, I don't think you ever get to the point where your inner demons, your inner critic, or the troll under the bridge, as I like to call it, or whatever, is completely silenced. But sometimes it's like, really like all in your face, like you're in a concert. And sometimes it's like just a dull roar in the back, you know, like just kind of like a little voice like, hey, you know, uh, I don't think that's good enough. And you're just like, that's nice. And you just ignore it, you know, you ignore it. And you just keep focusing on what you're doing and focusing on what you're doing and you get lost in what you're doing. And then the voice goes away because you're so focused on what you're doing. You can't hear it, you know, at least for a few moments. Do you
1: find that people, um,
2: approach, it, it seems like there's like purposeful
1: creativity and then, um purposeless both of those don't right have the right connotation i think of it as paid and unpaid but like um you know uh creating a website for a client or creating a, a, a some sort of creation for someone who's expecting a certain thing as opposed to random fine art kind of creativity mm-hmm. do do you find that people approach these things differently or or
2: I do. And what I would like to see is I would like to see them be approached like kind of jump the fence a little bit and kind of swap approaches. Because I think it's it's easy to fall into a trap, I think, when you're doing something, the paid or the purposeful or whatever, um, to get into a trap and to start looking at it differently than the kind of purpose purposeless or the unpaid or whatever you want to call it. Creativity, and then you have this kind of different relationship with what you come up with, and then you have a different relationship with the outcome itself. And I feel like you know, a lot of times you get really happy with the things that are the purposeless ones. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) come up with the stuff, and you're just like, I never even knew I could do that. So, um, so with the purposeful versus the purposeless, um, I feel like I would like to have more of the energy of the purposeless go into the purposeful, if you know what I mean. So a lot of times when people are doing kind of creativity just for creativity's sake or for their own benefit or whatever, you know, it's like it's a different kind of energy and it's a different kind of focus and it's a different kind of um, outcome and a lot of times something that somebody's really happy with. And sometimes when you're doing something for, for work, or paid or whatever it 's not the same thing, and I would love to see kind of more of that because um, I feel like there 's a lot more freedom of expression in mm. the purposeless one, and I would love to see people feel like they could have that freedom of expression in the purposeful one as well yeah. Do you know what
0: i 've found that both are both need to borrow from one another. My, my wife is a yes. fine artist and So, in like, I've always viewed it as sort of for hire or for play, and like, there's a, or for creativity's sake, but there's a, there's a play aspect that can be there when it's not for hire, that's, or that's more naturally there, I think, Mm -hmm. that, that, that needs to come into for hire work. And you almost have to Mm -hmm. be intentional about the, your processes and the way you approach your processes so that you make sure that you leave room for play. Mm -hmm. And then, in the and then in the on the other hand, um like with with my wife's work, m- many times the total lack of constraints actually is really constraining in the sense <laughs> yeah. that like yeah. it's very difficult to to it, it's the, it's the inner critic comes out because you have this intrinsic desire I think the true self really has a desire to produce something amazing to do something great, right. and then the false self tells you well. I know what this, where this idea is right now and it might not get there. And therefore, you, you know, you, you don't go there and somehow work for hire often takes like the constraints, you know, almost any creative endeavor. It's like constraints make something so much more manageable to begin to like free your creativity. Exactly. And so, yeah, it's like finding ways to make, like, make, work for hire, have like wonderful constraints, and yet still embrace play is, is challenging. I, yeah. and I
2: think that's the goal, right? Like, how can we, you know, for me, I feel like how can we structure our work lives? So that's what ends up happening. And I always like it when I for, you know, kind of creativity, you know, for creativity's sake, when I have constraints, it always it always just makes it better because I think constraints force you to be more creative than like having open field because it's just too many. It's like it's an embarrassment of riches. You know, yeah. it's just mm-hmm. it's too many choices. We really actually aren't built, you know, from a, on a neurological level to be able to deal with a lot of choices, period. <laughs> we just we can't like, you know, more than three. And it's like, uh, 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 and So, yeah, I think I I really like what you you said. It's really important to have that sense of play and everything inside of constraints, and then when you have the wide-open field to create constraints so that you can actually move forward and get something done.
1: When my... um when my band was signed, and I was uh, writing music for a living,
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, I, I always wanted to create a, a concept album, <laughs> not mm-hmm. because I particularly liked concept albums, you know, especially when you think sort of classic concept albums this psychedelic or whatever but mm-hmm. um, uh, but I, I liked that the creative limitations of it, the mm-hmm. you know trying to sort of c- c- come up with a common thread that you needed to that That acted as, as a bit of a constraint and mm-hmm. and a guideline through through a uh, a whole uh series of of creative projects if each song is a creative project you know to to sort of tie them all together rather than sort of putting out this random grouping of things but uh well,
2: and I always like stuff like that because then it's like then it's it's almost like when as a person who's on the other side of it that kind of end user for lack of a better term um like, then it's like, it's like, where's Waldo? You know, it's like this kind of mystery, like, okay, when you hear, like, when you listen to an album and there's like a riff that's in every song, but it's in a different way, you know what I mean? Or like, like, okay, totally uh, kind of a non sequitur, but um, <laughs> one of my favorite songs by Parliament Funkadelic <laughs> is not just Knee Deep, right? And it's not just the regular version. It's the long, like, 12-minute version. (laughs) And one of the reasons I love this song is because they have, like, the same... They have, like, the same part of the tune, but, like, every instrument, like, gets kind of, like, a solo playing the exact... Kind of the exact... Within the same constraints, right? But then, like, goes and does its own thing. Like, electric guitar, bass, they have, like, keyboard and everything. And, like, every, every part... And I'm like, oh, my God, he's, like, tearing it up within this, like, within this constraint right. of you know, fitting the tune. And it's like, and it just keeps going. And I'm like, this is amazing. And I always love it in music and in stories and in, like, visual art and stuff like that. When you have a group of things that they have a common element and you then you have, you get to, like, detect and see the common element and see how it's, like, taken and interpreted in different things. I think it's great.
0: Yeah, it, it- brings out our inner macgyver like it it's amazing what out. we can do when we're limited to just a swiss Army knife and some duct tape
1: exactly <laughs> well it becomes a problem solving issue rather than uh-huh. uh sort of random you know you, you don't have any idea if if you're achieving
2: right but you know you can argue that creativity itself is a problem solving issue right like mm. you've got this outcome or this vision that you're trying to shoot for and how do you achieve that vision that outcome you know just like you would with you would say with a problem like how are we going to resolve this problem or resolve this issue or speak to this issue
0: yeah yeah Yeah. totally Mm. yeah and for for sort of fine artists the, the not for hire oftentimes some of the really tricky work can be finding a problem
2: (laughs) finding the problem
0: to solve yeah
1: well denise this was great uh yeah really really good stuff i feel like um we maybe we should have you on back on the podcast sometime to talk about like some specific aspects of all this Mm because it seems like you have all sorts of insights into a lot of the stuff that we've sort of been exploring with the podcast Um,
2: oh wow that's great that's exciting yeah yeah i'd love to come back Talk
1: about brainstorming and motivation, and Mm -hmm. uh, I'm sure we could just go on for hours and hours now. But uh, you know, people have places they need to get to in their car, and uh, you know, (laughs) as they're listening to our podcast, so we'll we'll let them get there. And okay. we'll come back for another podcast sometime.
2: <laughs> Sounds good to me. Yeah. I, could, you know, I could wax philosophic and euphoric about this for a long time.
0: <laughs> well, right on. Thanks so much for taking time out while you're at Adobe Max, Denise.
2: Hey, um, well, thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. And... uh yeah, can't can't wait to you know have some more conversations about this because you know De- I love talking about this. Denise, if people want to
1: hire you to come and speak with them or speak at their event or that kind of thing, where where could where should's the best way for them to find you on the web? So,
2: uh, denisejacobs.com dot uh, is my website. My um, email address is Denise at Denise and my Twitter handle is Denise Jacobs. And so, any mm, one of those. So I would love to come and speak at the an event. I would love to come and do a workshop at uh, anybody's workplace. I'd love to do creativity coaching for people. So um, if anybody's interested in that, please uh, get in touch with me and we will work something out. Awesome. Great. Great. There you go. Well, thanks yeah. again. Thank you. I appreciate it, you guys. Okay. bye Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.